This morning, if you have your Bibles with you, I hope you'll turn to Mark chapter 5. We're going to be sharing from what Andrew's already read to us. I entitled today's sermon, Jesus Conquers Death. And this morning as I was praying and going through it, I thought probably Faith is the Victory would have been a better title for it. So you can use either one you want because certainly we see faith in a great way here and we see Jesus healing in a great way here. So either one of them are in this passage. I hope in Sunday school, those of you who were here, you've already studied through this material and I can share something that will help us and especially help us to take it from yesterday till today and where we can share with other people and let them know who Jesus is and how much they need to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get into the message. Father, today is your day, a day that's very special. And so you've brought all these folks here today just so we could sing together, we can worship together through singing, through giving, and through preaching of the Word. And Father, you know that the only thing that can hinder you doing what you want to do is sin in the camp, just like it was when Achan sinned and it kept the Israelites from being able to conquer and to do. I cannot see into hearts as you do, but you know today if there's any sin taking place in the hearts of any of us, beginning with me throughout this congregation, is there sin in our lives that would keep you from being able to do and to give us the victory? I pray in Jesus' name that if there is today that we'll acknowledge that sin, today we'll turn from that sin, and today we'll be the people that you would have us to be. So I ask you now for a holy anointing, an unction we call it, that you will give to me to preach with power and with authority. And that when we leave here today, we'll not know necessarily what Tony said, but we'll know exactly what the Word said to our hearts. So Lord, take it from our physical hearing to the spiritual, where you can speak to our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this passage, is, as Andrew's already shared with us, Mark, if you look at it, is really exciting. This whole chapter is. Now go back to verse 1, which we didn't read, and what we know is that this is when Jesus encountered the maniac of Gadara, right? And when he was there, he healed this man, cast out the demons from him, and you remember what happened? Because he was now in his right mind, the people told Jesus to leave. They didn't want him because the, the demons had gone into their swine, their pigs, they'd drowned themselves, and they were upset because their economy had been upset, and they said to Jesus, get out of town. Now he's on one side of Galilee, which he'd just gone to, and there's ten cities over there, and if you remember, after he healed the man, the man wanted to go with him, which I don't blame him at all, but he said, no, you stay here, and you go through the towns, and you tell people what's happened to you, so he did, and he stayed there, and then Jesus got in a boat, and now he goes on the other side of uh, the Sea of Galilee, and here is when he lands and he gets there, what happens is this very important person from the temple, he meets him, doesn't he? He comes to him because he has a problem. The problem is his daughter is very sick. He knows enough about Jesus, heard enough about Jesus, seen enough about Jesus that he knows that this man can heal his daughter because he knows what's happened in other places. He knows how Jesus has healed before and he's excited about it. And so what he does, he comes to him, and there in verse 24 or verse 21, we see the beginning of this encounter that Jairus and Jesus have concerning Jairus' daughter, don't we? 
So in verse 21, and we're going to look here just a, a, just a little bit at verses 21 through 24, but it says, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. Now the thing with Jesus, and I think we need to kind of get this in our mind now as we come down to verse 43, is people don't see what he's doing, and the crowds are just always around him. Because if there's something can be done for us, we want it done. And they knew that he healed. They saw him healing all kinds of sicknesses, all kinds of things. So as soon as he gets back on the other side, there's already a crowd gathered there. And I'm sure they're there because many of them want to, to uh, be healed. I'm sure there's a lot of those people who were there because he had already touched their lives. He would already done something very special for them. They're there to see him. So there's a multitude of people there. And all of a sudden, here comes probably the most unlikely person to come to Jesus and ask him to do something because he's a ruler in the synagogue, isn't he? Listen to what it says. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. He comes to Jesus. Here's a person that you wouldn't expect to be coming because of his place in, in the synagogue there. And, and, and it talks about him being a ruler, and there were more than one. But yet it's a very important position for him. And he comes understanding it doesn't matter how important you are. It doesn't matter how religious you are. There's only certain things can happen, and Jesus has to be the, the one who takes care of that. And I would say to us today, we need to understand that there is a sickness that really is unto death, and that's the sin sickness that takes us out of this life into an eternity separated from Jesus Christ into hell, which is prepared for the devil and his angels. And so therefore, the greatest healing that any of us can have isn't just the physical healing that many of us have experienced, and most of the time we give God the glory when we see the things that have happened. And there's been times in our life when we have honestly can say we've seen somebody that was beyond help. And guess what happened? God intervened, and that person got totally well, and we couldn't give the doctor's credit, we couldn't give medicine credit, we had to give all the credit to Jesus Christ and His healing. And what a hallelujah day that is. I remember walking into that room in the hospital there, Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio, with a kid that we were close to, had been in church for a while. They, had, they lived on the other side of the river from where I pastored. They were in Ohio, I was in West Virginia, and Peggy and I went to see him up there at Columbus with the cancer he had, 11 or 12 years old. All his hair was gone, he was swollen. I didn't even recognize him, to be very honest about it. There, lying in that bed when we walked into that room. Had his grandparents not been in there, I would not have known that I was in the room where Michael was. And we prayed for him, as we always did. People did pray for him, and... and, and God began to do some things, and a, year, a couple of years ago when Peggy and I were in West Virginia, we had time to be with them, and then when his grandfather died a few months ago, we had time to be with him, and then we got a, a notice from his aunt that he is getting married here in a few months. Here's a young man that nobody expected to live, but yet God did a miracle in his life, and not only did he do that miracle of healing him spiritually, uh, physically, but he healed him spiritually as well. And, and a fine, committed young Christian. And we see him, he's reached the end of himself. 
you're the only hope that I have for my little girl. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. And guess what? There's where the lady with the issue of blood showed up as this mob moves. Can you imagine what it's like? Have you ever been in a mob where it's just shoulder to shoulder and you can't hardly do? And I know we get that if we go to a lot of sporting events, but I'm talking about something going on besides there. And you, you get into that throng and you wonder how in the world can you even make it? And then can you imagine somebody being touched and turning to you who wasn't even looking and saying, who just touched me? And you remember this lady, he read the story to us about her. It's very important. But what we see here is that we can approach Jesus with confidence. You see, we don't have to be afraid to come to Him. If you're here today and you've never been saved, there's never been a point in your life where you've come to grips with the fact you're a sinner. You need to repent of your sin. You need to turn to Jesus. You need to let Him become Lord of your life. Let Him guide you, direct you, take you the route that He'd have you to go. You don't need to be afraid. You need to come to Him. You need, need to say, well, I've sinned so badly that I, I'm, I'm afraid I, He'll not do anything for me. He will do something for you. If you'll turn your life to Him, He wants to save you. He wants to make you whole. As, as happy as we were to see little Michael when he got over cancer, and as we began to watch him grow, and we began to hear things about him, watched him go through college, and watch him become a man, it was exciting to know that God had touched him and healed him. And I'm sure with, with this lady, as she walked up, as she looked at him, and the thought went through her mind, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, I can't necessarily get to him. There's too many people, but if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. Can you imagine the faith that it took for her to do that? To say, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I've seen so much of what he's done. And this lady gets up there, and she's fearful about it, isn't she? But she decides to go ahead and touch that garment. And what happened when she did it? Instantaneously, she was healed of the issue of blood. And instantaneously, Jesus knew she was healed instantaneously he felt it go from his body. And he turns around to his disciples and said, Who did it? And they say to him, and I'll just use my paraphrase of it, Jesus, surely you don't think we'd know. Look at the crowd. How do you expect us to know who did it? And the lady, and I think this is a good experience. And by the way, the word used here in verse 24 and the word used in verse 34, the word can also indicate the healing is spiritually saved. It doesn't say that, but I've studied enough to understand that to be true. And she, trembling, fearful, speaks up and says, it was me. And what does Jesus say to her? He talks to her about her faith, doesn't he? Her faith, her faith. Faith is a victory. We need to believe. Do you believe today? Do you believe enough today that it changes your life? Listen, in Hebrews 4.16 says this to us about coming to Jesus. In Hebrews 4.16 says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive His mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Think about what God has promised you and promised me. 
Can you imagine being lost today? Can you imagine being a lost church member? I think, I think that bothers me more as much or maybe more than somebody just being lost. If a person's lost out here, they know they're lost. Many church members don't even know they're lost. Because somewhere along the line, they did what we in the pulpit told them to do, was answer four questions. Everything's going to be all right if you'll just pray this little prayer with us. And we'll take you to the baptistry and we'll baptize you. And now you're the member of the church. But they never came to grips with their lostness. They never came to grips with repentance. They never came to grips with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And as a result of it, they're living a life that is going to take them straight into hell because they have been given a false assurance of who Jesus is. That bothers me. And if you're here today and you're a church member and you don't have that sense of urgency of surrendering yourself to Him as Lord of your life, as He said to take up our cross every day and to follow Him, ask yourself, has there been that point in my life where I literally came to grips with my lostness and I literally wanted to trust Jesus? I literally wanted to walk where He had had me to walk. I wanted to be the person of God that He'd have me to be. I literally wanted the old things to be gone. I wanted a new life. I wanted to walk in victory in Jesus. He says, I give you healing. I give you what you need. You can come to me boldly. Grace is sufficient. But folks, knowing Jesus is a lot different than knowing about Jesus. Because knowing Jesus creates with us, within us a desire to serve Him, to want to do what He'd have us to do, to live by every word that's in this book right here. And when He says something, not to try to figure a way around it, but to walk right into it and say, God, that's where I want to live. That's where grace is sufficient. This man had a daughter that was sick. Jesus was going to with him to his house to be with that little girl. And a lady encountered him on the road. And guess what? He healed her. He healed her more than just physically. I believe he healed her spiritually on that road that day. So we go on beyond the lady and we come down to verse 35. The Bible says, while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler, came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher anymore? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a commotion and those who wept and wailed loudly. You know what? The one thing that I've found out, and sometimes it's been the hard way by not trusting, but Jesus, God, is always on time. He has perfect timing. He'll step in when He knows it's the right time to step in. You see, I have an ADDH or whatever that thing is problem with a whole bunch of things after it. I'm in high gear overdrive all the time. If it needed to be done, it needed to be done yesterday. I'm always a Peggy will say, just sit down. Man, why you want to sit down when there's something to do? Y'all know what I mean? Just relax. Relax when I get it all done. I don't know when that'll be. But anyway, I know that I have that. 
And, and Jesus, though, is always on time. Never early, never late, always perfect on time. And what do we learn from that? What do we see here that's happening? We see Him telling Him something here. We see Him talking to Him here. When Jesus heard the word, He said, Don't be afraid, only believe. Now listen to what Hebrews 11.1 say. You all know it. Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Just have faith, He says. Believe in me. I'm telling you, everything's going to be all right. I remember listening to E.V. Yeah, e. Hill preach. E.V. Hill was a great black preacher from out in uh, Los Angeles, California. He preached at a lot of Southern Baptist pastors' conference uh, when I used to go to Southern Baptist Convention. And he told about his wife dying with cancer. And early on she had had cancer and God had put it into remission. And uh, God had said to him at first time, he had been down in the prayer chapel and God told him everything will be okay and she's going to be okay. And, and, and E.V. got up and he is all excited and, and she was okay. And then after a few years, that cancer came back again. And E.V. said he went down to that room again and he got on his knees and prayed. And God said everything's going to be okay. And he said she's going to be healed. And he said, I didn't say that. I said everything's going to be okay. With Jesus, everything is okay. We may not understand it, but everything is okay. So we believe, we trust, we know. And then we look at another verse or two here, uh, verse 39 and 40, and let's see what they say. When he came in, he said to them, Why make the commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them out, all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Now, you see, here's another thing. They ridiculed Jesus. They made fun of him. They didn't believe him. But let me just share something about why all this commotion was going on. When a person died, they had a mourning time. They had at least two or three people, professionals, who came and mourned. We don't know whether these were people who really cared, and I put that in parentheses or quotes, or whether it was people who had been paid to come, but they were weeping and wailing and carrying on because this little girl had died. That's what they said. And what did Jesus say? We find that Jesus cares for us. Jesus knew what He was going to do, just like when He went to the tomb of Lazarus. When Mary and Martha were all upset with him, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. If you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. It's always Jesus' fault. Amen? It's always his fault. That's what we say. We never give him credit that he knows what's best over the big picture of things. There's things that I don't understand. There's things that you don't understand. But I know one thing, we will someday understand it all. But right now we don't. Why did God take that little kid? I don't understand that, do you? Why did God take my husband? I don't understand that. Why did God take my wife? I don't always understand that. Why did God take that great Christian with all the other rascals around? I remember uh, Claude Stevens, who was our DOM up in, in West Virginia. He and I became very close. He'd been pastor at Circleville uh, First Baptist Church there in Ohio, and during the Vietnam War, he had two ladies in his church that were there all the time. One of them, he said, was the most saintly lady you ever knew. Both of them were good Bible scholars, but the other one stirred up trouble all the time. She always had her mouth going. Both of them had sons in 
Vietnam. Claude said, Tony, I don't understand it. I'll never understand it. The lady that was saintly and good's son got killed. The lady that was always causing trouble in the church, her son lived through Vietnam. We don't always understand why he does what he did, does. But what we do know, that whatever he does is perfect. It's best. So anyway, looking at those verses, these people are telling him, get out of the way. We find that Jesus does care for us. Look at Matthew 6.30. Matthew 6.30, the Bible says, And if God cares so wonderfully for wild flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, He will certainly care for you. Who do, why do you have so little faith? Folks, we need to trust Him in every way. We need to trust Him for our health, our wealth, our being. But we need to understand those things all come from Him. So who do they all belong to? They all belong to Him. God cares so much. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, He will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Now listen to what He said in John 3.16. You know it as well as I do. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not should not die but have everlasting life, should not perish. What did Andrew tell us last week? It's the whosoever family, isn't it, Andrew? It's the whosoever family. Are you a part of the whosoever family? Or are you a part of somebody that walked down the aisle one night in a revival or somewhere when the preacher's preaching and mom had told you it's time for you to get baptized, you're old enough now to be in the church. After all, Johnny and Susie went forward. Now it's time for you to get down there, and you did exactly what they told you. You came down, the preacher said, Hey, honey, did you come tonight wanting to know Jesus as your Savior? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus died? Yes. Do you believe this? Yes. Do you believe that? Yes. All yes questions. Amen. Well, I've scared you all to death this morning, haven't I? Well, guess what? Little Johnny just came, and he answered all four questions right. He gets an A+. Plus. And we take little Johnny, and we all come down and hug him, and we tell him how sweet it is. We take little Johnny into the baptistry and baptize little Johnny. Is anybody here named Johnny? If you are, forgive me. We take little Johnny in the baptistry, and we baptize him. Oh, we're all happy little Johnny got saved, Diane. Little Johnny just joined the church. Like the lady at one of the churches I pastored stood on a corner up there in Shively, Kentucky with four or five little boys playing there, and she asked them, do you boys want to go to heaven? They said, yeah. She said, well, pray this prayer with me, and you'll be okay. I was told that after the fact. She, little boys prayed the prayer with her. She turned to the lady that was visiting with her and said, four or five more for heaven. Four or five more for heaven. Those kids didn't have any more clue what was going on in the goose. Have you come to the place where you need to repent? You know you need to repent. You see, these people had reached the end of themselves. Jairus had reached the end of himself. His little girl's dying. The lady with the issue of blood had spent every penny she had. She didn't have anything left. She was bankrupt. She had nowhere to go. And friend, if you're here and lost, you're bankrupt. You only have one place you can go, and that's to Jesus. So then we look at the next verses, two of them together, 40 and 41. And they ridiculed him, but when he had put them all outside, he took the father and mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Little girl, I say to you, arise. 
He told her to get up, didn't he? Now, he used Aramaic, and Andrew's better at that. He's better Arab than I am. But he used Aramaic. Most of the people in that part of the world spoke Aramaic. And so, believe it or not, from what I can study and find out, it wasn't really easy for them to transfer that into the Greek for us to understand. But it's a rise, little girl, get up. And what we see right here in these two verses is that Jesus has authority over death. Think of that. You know, uh, all of us in some way have experienced death with somebody real close to us. And the exciting thing about it when you get over the hurt, you never really get over it, you all know what I'm saying, and you realize, hey, they're with Jesus. It's exciting to know that someday, because of what He did for us, we'll all be together again. Amen? Just look here at 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57. This is what we hear Paul saying as he writes to the Corinthians. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But listen to this next verse. But thank God He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus. Now what we see, Lord Jesus Christ, what we see here in these verses is what He said here. You see, when Jesus healed these people, what came of that healing was not just the physical. I think I preached on this one. I get so mixed up in who preached what. But on the guy they let down through the roof, what did Jesus do? He proved that he was healed or had, had the power to forgive by showing that he could heal him. And see, this is a picture that we get here of the spiritual healing. And Jesus shows his authority for that healing through the physical healings that we see take place. So this little girl is told to stand up. In verse 43, Jesus, as we know, uh, brings life. Immediately, or verse 42 and 43, I didn't finish, did I read 42 a while ago? Immediately, the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. Did y'all notice there's a comment, something here, and the lady in the, had the issue of blood and the little girl? Both, she was 12 years, and the little girl's 12 years old. There's something there for you to get to. For she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. Well, all of us would be, right? They were overcome with that great amazement. But listen to what he said. He commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given to eat. As Andrew comes to lead us in our singing, in our hymn of response, what we see above everything else here is that Jesus brings life. And folks, as I close, I want you to, if you don't hear anything else I say to you today, I want you to know that physical healing is something that all of us pray for different people for. Physical healing is very, very important. But the greatest healing that you can share and you can see in anybody in your family is for Jesus to heal them spiritually. For a person to come to the end of themselves and come to Jesus knowing that He is the only hope that any of us have, Jesus. You see, John 10.10 says this, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come 
listen to this, I have come that they may have life and that they might have it how? More abundantly. Some translation says to the full. I don't care how th full a life you think you have, you have no life, real life, until you have Jesus. Now, I know I got off there a while ago, but that's important. Because it's important for every person in this building who professes to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. I don't care whether it's Peggy and myself. I don't care whether it's our deacons and their families or all of you who are lay people. If we really belong to Jesus, if we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we're saved, then we need to make a commitment to God Almighty that we will obey His commands because Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. And when I refuse to do that, I am saying to Him, I do not love you because I'm not going to do what you've commanded me to do. Folks, it is a tremendous, tremendous responsibility to know Jesus because it calls for a totally surrendered, dedicated life. We don't talk about that. We talk about going to heaven, and that's great. How precious it is to know heaven is a part of salvation. But another part of it is obedience as a part of God's forever family. Christian, are you obedient? I'm not asking you to look at somebody else for their disobedience. I'm talking about each one of us looking at our own obedience. Am I obedient? Lost person, do you want to have a full and abundant life? Today you can. If you're willing to repent of your sin, to trust Jesus as your Savior, and to follow Him all the days of your life. We call it the perseverance of the saints that we walk where Jesus walks. Father, we're going to sing here in just a minute. I pray that you've been honored through me today. God, I get so burdened, burdened, Lord, burdened, hurt, to think that I'm such a lousy pastor, that I can preach the truth, and those who profess to know Jesus go on as though the truth was never spoken. God, have mercy on me. What it is in my life that keeps your word that you share through me, I believe. Whatever it is that keeps people from listening and obeying, please, Lord, remove it from my life. God, Bring a revival to First Baptist Church of Sonora. Let us understand that we're the lighthouse for people who are lost. God, please, please take the haze off of the light here. 
and let it burn brightly. Please, God, please cause us to understand that it's you, it's you that we're to be responsible to. And if I fail, please, God, have mercy on me. But don't let somebody hold something against you because they see my failure. Let them live for you and pray for me. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.